Well, tonight, we are, again, looking at Barnabas. Last week, we saw that Barnabas, indeed, was a great encourager. Tonight, we see how Barnabas was a great encourager to Saul as an individual and to the church as a whole. Barnabas was a sort of great encouragement and help for Saul. Barnabas was instrumental in Saul's spiritual development. He was quite the mentor to Saul, as we will see tonight. And in turn, Saul became very helpful to the church, certainly a pillar of the church as time went on. So Paul, so Barnabas's ministry to Saul was quite significant. I want to begin by looking at the background and just point out that initially the believers at Jerusalem doubted Saul's conversion. Of course, I think most of us know the story of Saul on the road to Damascus and how a great light appeared and heard a voice from heaven. It was actually the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ who asked how long he was going to kick against the goads, how long he was going to continue in his rebellion and continuation of the persecution of the church. And he was wonderfully and marvelously converted. But that conversion was doubted by many of the disciples, Acts 9, 23 to 28. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That's, that's Saul because he's beginning to testify and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. One can readily understand why the believers would have doubts concerning Paul's conversion. Uh, I encourage us as we read the scriptures that uh, we take time to meditate. I always encourage you to be reading your Bible through in a year, and I know that that means uh, for some a pretty heavy schedule, and you're reading pretty rapidly. But at the same time, we have to have time for reflection, a time of putting ourselves in other people's shoes, a, a time just to think about the issues that are presented in the scripture. And I submit to you, this was a very difficult situation in the life of the church at Jerusalem when Saul shows up. What do you do with this guy? All right. So one can readily understand why the believers would have doubts concerning Paul's conversion. First, they would have reason to doubt Saul's conversion and to be afraid of him because of Saul's support of putting Stephen to death. Acts 7, 58 to 8, 1. Then they cast him, that is Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. Now, of course, this is prior to Saul's conversion. But uh, he was approving of the execution. And there is uh, some discussion as to whether that was formally or informally. 
Uh, it appears that Saul was probably a member of the Sanhedrin. So when it uh, says that he was approving of his execution, it may mean that he cast a vote, that he went on record, that he made a statement that Stephen should be put to death. But at any point, however you understand it, Saul demonstrated his support in executing Stephen. Secondly, they would have reason to doubt Saul's conversion and to be afraid of him due to his active involvement in the persecution of the church. Verse 3 of chapter 8, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he wasn't just in opposition to the church in the sense that he condemned it or that he maligned it or that he spoke against the people of God, but says that he ravaged the church, meaning that he, he brought great destruction to the church as a whole. And he did this by entering the house by house in a very systematic way. He went to persecute the church, dragging off men and women and committed them to prison. That's a pretty harsh response to the church of God. And then they would have reason to doubt Saul's conversion and be afraid of him due to his ever-increasing opposition to the church. Saul is growing in his, in his anger towards the church and in his persecution of the church. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But Paul, still breathing threats, the idea there is that, that he wasn't satisfied. He now is going to move the persecution to other areas, but still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, we have just upped the ante. Previously, it's, it's talking about him dragging people off to prison. Now, he, the text is talking about Saul murdering Christians. But still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters of the synagogue at Damascus so that he would found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So matters are getting worse and worse. Therefore, I simply ask this question. Was it likely that such a person would come to faith? Is that the kind of person that you think would place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that seem a little bit beyond the pale? Five, wasn't that it more likely that such a person would feign faith in order to get a sinister inroad into the church? Now just think about life practically. Saul shows up and wants to identify with the group of disciples. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? See, those doubts resulted in the believers being afraid of Saul. Verse 26, they were afraid of him. 
Because the believers doubted Saul's conversion and were afraid of him, they would not accept Paul, verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. That's the key word, attempted. He, he tried to, but he was rebuffed. He was refused. He was rejected. They wanted no part of him. Despite all of this, Barnabas, in contrast, believed that Saul had experienced a true conversion and thus was not afraid of him. Verse 27, but Barnabas. Key word there is but. But. Barnabas stands out. Barnabas is a loner. Barnabas is an isolation from the rest of the disciples. Okay? He's standing alone. And he wants to welcome Saul and express acceptance of him. Barnabas believed that Saul had seen the Lord, verse 9:27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. Barnabas believed that God had spoken to Saul, who spoke to him. And Barnabas believed that Saul was a changed mind, man. Again, in verse 27, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So it's because of his belief in God's ability to change the heart and life of an individual who comes to faith, who previously did not know the Lord, he is willing to take some risks, which brings us to number two. Barnabas, unlike the other believers, were willing to, to, willing to take risks in helping Saul. He was willing to take risks in helping Saul. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So what risks did Barnabas take in accepting Saul and bring him to the apostles? Well, first of all, Barnabas risked his own personal safety. This is a person who previously had been hauling people off to prison, threatened to murder them. So he's got to think about the fact that if he helps this person, what could happen? What could happen? Barnabas risked the safety of his family if he had any. I don't know if he was married or not. Thirdly, Barnabas risked the safety of the apostles. He led him to the apostles. He said, come with me. He brought him into the apostles' presence. I wonder what the apostles thought when he first showed up. I wonder if they said, good job, Barnabas. So glad that you reached out to Saul. Or they're shaking their heads and saying, why in the world did they bring this guy to me? Okay. Think of the dynamics. Just think of human nature. Just think of all the problems that are associated with going to take place. Barnabas risked his own standing in the Christian community. Barnabas was going against the tide of public opinion. Everybody else didn't want to accept him. Everybody else wanted nothing to do with him. He is going against all of that public opinion. In addition, 
How would the disciples feel about a person who befriended an individual who was responsible for the death and imprisonment of their loved ones? You see, there are people in that church who experienced the effects of Saul's persecution. There were people there who themselves, perhaps, had been imprisoned, or a husband, a spouse, a child, a father, a brother, a friend. There were people who were very close to Stephen. Stephen was held in high regard. It was commonly known that Saul was partially responsible for the death of Stephen. Think of the pathos. Think of the emotion. Think of the anger. Barnabas risked his own future reputation. How would Barnabas be viewed if after a period of time Saul's profession of faith had proven to be false? What if the people were right? What if this was just a guise? What if he were gullible? What if Saul went back to his old ways? Can you imagine the wrath that would come down upon Barnabas by the rest of the disciples. Think about the risks that he took. It wasn't popular, to say the least. Application. Encouraging and helping others is a risky business. I don't want to get overly simplistic. Life is complicated. Knowing what is the right thing to do and the right thing to say is hard. But it is the Christian duty and responsibility to encourage and help others in need. And so, easier said than done. One must believe in the power of the gospel to change a person's life in order to be an effectual encourager. Number three, the benefits of Barnabas's encouraging Saul. Saul eventually was accepted by the church. Uh, he knew what to do. He knew that the persons that he needed to introduce him to were the apostles. The apostles were going to carry the weight. The apostles would be people that would be more sensitive to the spirit of God's working, etc., etc. Well, it works out that eventually uh, Saul becomes associated with the church, verse 28. So he went in and out among them. He now is numbered among the disciples. And uh, he's a part of the group. He's a part of the church. And again, it's easy to read over that. But I would submit to you there are still people that are angry. There are still people that are hurt. There are still people that are scratching their head and 
wondering why we're letting this scoundrel in and all of the other things that go along with it. The result was that Saul was able to preach at Jerusalem. So he went out in among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul especially reached out to Greek-speaking Jews, verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. The Hellenists, again, were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were the scum of the earth as far as the Hebrew-speaking Jews were concerned. These were people who sold out. These were people who were not really committed to Jehovah or the law of God for they didn't take time to learn the mother tongue. Uh, they didn't know Hebrew. These would not have been the conservative Jews. Uh, these would have been the liberal Jews. Saul identified with them. Of course, Saul himself was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. His testimony is in Philippians that he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You want to talk about somebody who has credentials of being an Orthodox Jew. He has the credentials of being an Orthodox Jew in Philippians. He says that he was of the tribe of, uh, now I'm forgetting if he's Bethlehem or Judah, but he's of the tribe of Israel. He goes through, he's circumcised the eighth day at the, the proper time that you're supposed to be circumcised as a keeper of the law, blameless. Okay. You want to talk about a Pharisee? He was a Pharisee. And now, yet, there's a change in him. And so he's ready and willing to reach out to those that the rest of the believing community is not willing to reach out to. And we saw in chapter uh, 7 earlier, last week, about how there was a dispute that arose among the Greek-speaking Jews and the uh, Hebrew-speaking Jews concerning the neglecting of the widows. D, Saul was persecuted as a church uh, as a result, verse 29, and he spoke in dispute against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So he's risking his life for the gospel. Saul then returns home to Tarsus. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Okay, it's time for you to go home. Uh, they were concerned about his well-being. He was creating quite the storm. People were out to kill him, so they sent him home. Saul of Tarsus. The story doesn't end there. Number four, Barnabas and Saul become effective encouragers of the Greeks speaking Jews who came to faith at Antioch. Barnabas became an effective encourager to the Greek speaking Jews who became Christians at, at Antioch. The gospel came to the Greek speaking Jews at Antioch in Acts 11, 19, and 20. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now, here's the irony of God's sovereign grace and providential working. People that were leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution that Saul is behind and that Saul is advancing. Saul, who's trying to stamp out the church by his persecution, inadvertently in his, 
in his unsaved state is actually causing the church to grow. For it says in verse 19, now those who are scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So they weren't witnessing outside of the Jewish community. They weren't reaching the Gentiles. They weren't interested in reaching the Gentiles. They weren't interested that they came to faith. They could care less. These were their enemies. These, uh, you know, these were people that had ethnic problems. We know of people today have ethnic problems. We know that, that there are ethnic groups that don't mingle. And unfortunately, there are Christians who don't care about people of other ethnicity. And unfortunately, there are Christians who are bigoted. Well, so was the situation in the church in the New Testament. They didn't witness outside of the Jewish community. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch speaking to the Hellenists also and preaching the Lord Jesus. So they now are at least reaching out to the Greek-speaking Jews. They haven't hit the Gentiles yet, but at least the Greek-speaking Jews now they are sharing the faith with. A large number of Greek-speaking Jews come to faith, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Word came to Jerusalem of the converts at Antioch. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas was just the person to help such people. The report of, the, of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Again, just a, a simple line. But you understand what that says about, about Barnabas? You understand that's how Barnabas is viewed? Who are we going to send to these Greek-speaking Jews? We ought to help them. We ought to welcome them. Who better to minister to them than Barnabas? If anybody's going to welcome them, it's going to be Barnabas. If anybody believes that God is doing a work among the Greek-speaking Jews, it's going to be Barnabas. The church recognizes that he's got the makeup. He's got the spirit. He's got the outlook. He's got what is needed. For it tells us a very important thing in verse 23 of Acts chapter 11. It's number five. Barnabas was delighted that these Greek-speaking Jews had come to faith. Verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. He didn't resent them. He didn't doubt them. He didn't reject them. He didn't see them as a burden or as a nuisance. He was glad. He, he welcomed them. He embraced them. He was rejoicing in what God was doing. He was glad. 
he was glad. See, that's an important element of being an encourager. You can't be a naysayer. You can't be a person who's always finding fault and always condemning, always ridiculing, having a sense of superiority and an unwillingness to accept others. And so we have this an aside in the scripture. That is, Barnabas was glad because of the spiritually mature Christian that he was. Notice what it says about him. Three things. First, for he was a good man. He's a good man. You can count on one hand the number of people that are described in the Bible as a good man. Jesus said when they called him good, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. But Jesus was viewed as a good man because of his deeds, because of his actions, because of his healing of the sick, because of the care and the concern that he showed. The people said he's a good man. Here is Barnabas. He was a good man. Secondly, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that he was controlled by the Holy Spirit. Remember when we were in Ephesians and I talked about being filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, being under the influence of the Spirit, just like being drunk with wine is being under the influence of alcohol. But being filled with the Spirit is being under the, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. He exhibited those characteristics. He lived out the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life in the way in which he ministered to these Greek-speaking Jews. And lastly, he was a good man, full of faith, uh, excuse me, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And of faith. Faith in God. Faith in what God can do. Faith in what God would do. And that faith in God resulted in a faith in people. Not for people who and what they are, but for a God who's at work in people. He had faith. It's striking that when the disciples come and they ask Jesus when in his earthly ministry, how often should I forgive a man? And they ask the question seven times. They think that that's pretty generous. And they think that's pretty, being pretty forgiving. Should I forgive him seven times? The response of Jesus is 70 times 7. 70 times 7. And that is, in essence, saying infinitum. It's not literally 490 times in the 491st time you don't forgive. It's you continually forgive and forgive and forgive. In other words, you are going to see time and time again in which People stand in need of your forgiveness. Habitually. 
habitually forgives them 70 times 7. Do you know what the disciples say after that? Increase our faith. Increase our faith. You see, it takes great faith to do that. First, it takes faith to believe that you can do that. It takes faith to be willing to do that. It takes faith to ask God to change our own hearts and attitudes and dispositions. B, Barnabas, as a great encourager, continued to encourage not only the Greek-speaking Jews at Antioch, but Saul as well. The work had become too great for Barnabas to do alone, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Oh, let me go back up to 1124, right before B. The last statement there says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So there are many, many people coming to faith. There is a great work of God that is going on here, and it's just too much for Barnabas to handle. So Barnabas, as the encourager that he is, continued to encourage not only the Greek-speaking Jews at Antioch, but Saul as well. The work had become too great for Barnabas to do alone. Verse 25, so, and the so is related to the fact that a great many people had come to faith. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He needed help. He needed help. But all of the places that he could have turned to for help Remember, it was the church at Jerusalem that had sent him out. It was the church at Jerusalem where the apostles were. I would think that the natural response is, if you need help, you're going to go back to Jerusalem and look for other recruits. If the church had sent him out, why don't they send others out? But that wasn't in his radar. When he thought of somebody who could help these Greek-speaking Jews, he thought of Saul. And the reason that he thought of Saul was because when he, Saul was at Jerusalem, he was speaking to the Greek-speaking Jews and risking his life to do so. So his conclusion is, here is somebody who's on the same page as I am. Here is somebody who's going to be glad that these Greek-speaking Jews are coming to faith. Here is somebody who is going to want to enter into this work. Here is a co-laborer. Here is a like-minded individual. Here is a good helper. Two, Barnabas introduced Saul to the ministry at Antioch, and when he found him, again, he had to search for him, he had to look for him, he brought him to Antioch. Again, every word is important. He brought him to, to Antioch. Okay, he didn't invite him. He brought him. He said to Saul, you're needed there. Come with me. I've got work for you to do. He took Saul under his arm. He discipled Saul. Together, Barnabas and Saul ministered side by side. 
For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. The they is, of course, Barnabas and Saul. And all through the scripture up to this point, it's Barnabas and Saul, it's Barnabas and Saul. We're going to see when it switches to Saul and Barnabas, and Saul takes the lead, but that's later. Right now, it's Barnabas and Saul. And together, they serve and they teach the people. For together, Barnabas and Saul had an effective ministry of making disciples of Christ. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Uh, the word uh, Christian uh, literally means little Christ, little Christ. And uh, it was a derogatory term. When we think of Christian, we think of that as a positive term. But in Antioch, it was, it was a mockery. It was a degrading term. I mean, nothing but a little Christ. But what a compliment. What a compliment. To be identified with being associated with Christ and to have a, a demeanor, an outlook, an activity, a work that is consistent with that of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did a great job in making disciples. For notice, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They weren't called Barnabites. And they weren't called Saulites. They were not making disciples of themselves. They were not making followers of themselves. They were making followers of Christ. And they did such a good job of it that these disciples became known as little Christ. That that's who they were modeling themselves after. That's who they were trying to be like. Inclusion. Barnabas took a person who initially was not able to be a part of the church and transformed him into a useful servant of the church. Now, we're not negating the sovereignty of God, and we're not negating the spirit of God's work. But I tell you, God works through people. And it's extraordinary what Barnabas does with Saul. It's magnificent what he does with Saul. B, this useful servant of the church would eventually become a great leader in the church. Therefore, Barnabas, through his ministry of encouragement, was a great blessing to Saul and the church as a whole. What originally did not appear that way as he befriended Saul, eventually proved itself to be an incredible blessing, not only to the church at Antioch, but of course, then after this comes the missionary journeys and, and, and Saul just begins to develop and up until this point, he's still Saul, but eventually he becomes known as Paul. But it's interesting too that he's not first known as Paul at the time of his conversion. That comes later. That comes later. A great encourager. I would say, may God give us a spirit of faith to believe that, that God can do great things in the lives of people. 
maybe be willing to take risks to stand on the side of right. Sometimes it's really hard to know what the side of right is. But we need to stand on the side of right. And that means that sometimes even Christians don't understand. Even Christians aren't on the same page. For Christians are suffering. Christians are hurting. And an encourager understands and knows all of that. What character it takes to be an encourager? A good man. A man full of the Spirit. A man of faith. May God help us to be good people. People filled with the Holy Spirit and people of faith. May God help us to be an instrument of blessing to individuals that will eventually become a blessing to the church and the people of God. See, that's the real joy of pouring your life into people. Because it doesn't stop with the person. But as you pour your life into Christians and you mentor them and you develop them, they are going to become leaders and they are going to impact God's people for good. So let us invest in others, not only for their enrichment, but for the enrichment of the church and ultimately to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us in our ministry of encouragement. Help us to be people of, of faith, people who are filled with the Spirit. Good people, good people. Uh, Lord, increase our faith in knowing what you are able to do. And uh, Lord, help us to be uh, a gracious people. Thankful for what you have done in our own lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.